Welcome back to Coaching Kern, and I'm Dave D'Agostino, your co-host, and I'm here with my fellow co-hosts, Kevin Kernan, America's most beloved writer, sports writer, our Hall of Famer, here with Will George, our resident scout who's on location today, and then Sal Marinello, our performance expert. Guys, welcome back to episode 76. This is our panel today. We've got a few things to discuss with our audience, a post-Halloween episode. Hopefully you guys didn't get too filled with, up on candy the night before, but uh, welcome back to the show, fellas. Good morning. Good morning. Yeah. Great yeah, we, always, we always kind of kick it to you to start here. Kind of what's what's on your mind? Another couple great articles uh, that were, we read. Uh, America loves what you put out there. You're saying what other people are thinking and can't say. Um, what, but what's on your mind this week? Well, first off, the, uh, the one thing on my mind is I'm getting my bathroom redone. So there's a lot of construction in the background. So I'll be, I'm, uh, I've been banished to the patio for today. So... But it's not so bad. It's 75 degrees, sunny, uh, for all you people getting ready for winter. Um, it's great being in North Florida. Great governor, great times. And um, what, I've, uh, what I've noticed is that the um, baseball is a little weirder. It gets weirder every day. You know, they, um, the, I wrote a column that just got a lot of response because it was all about um, – it was all about – you know, what, what Bob Thompson actually, he talks to his players. He actually communicates with them. He talks to his coaches and communicates with them. And, and same for Dusty Baker. But I mainly specialize on Rob because he spent 28 years in the Yankee organization. They didn't even know what they had. He ran, he, he ran and, and Will can address this, but, he, you know, he, he was the guy who ran spring training. He ran, you know, extended spring, did everything. And he was just tossed aside as a, a, a you know, they, 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 they brought him in for an interview, but they didn't consider him. They gave it to a guy who never managed before, never ran anything with the club, was a broadcaster and was a former player. You know, he was a player, Aaron Boone. That, all that's good, of course, but he didn't have the day-to-day work experience. So in my mind, the Yankees are getting exactly what they should be getting for passing over good people and, um, you know, and creating what they've created there. So that's one thing. And, you know, there's been a lot of changes, too, with hitting coaches and um, – and there also was, a, on the good news front, the umpire had a great game the other day, you know, uh, uh, Pat Holbrook. And, um, uh, you know, but, but uh, again, I think people make too much of the umpires. I just, just played a game. I think he had a good game, too, because there were two good pitchers on the mound. That helps, too. So those are the things I'm, work, I'm thinking about. And also, I saw the Cubs hired a baseball scientist. More power to them. Great. Great. I, you know, we'll see what the scientists, you know, we'll see if there's climate warming with the Cubs. We'll see what's going on. So it's got to be a reason for the Cubs why they stink now. Maybe it's climate warming. Maybe we'll get into it with the baseball scientists. So that's some of the things in my mind. Instead of signing a starting pitcher, they went out and got a scientist. Well, why is a guy like Rob Thompson? I mean, what Kevin says seems so logical uh, to me and probably most uh, our audience too. Why, why would he be a guy that they just pass over? I, I I don't know. Maybe it's uh, not a sexy name, but you know when Kevin talked about you know how he talks to his players, and um, I think anyone who has listened to us and um, on these podcasts, our pitching podcasts, on our hitting podcasts, 
uh, we always talk about relationships, um, how important they are to us. And that's why we love the game because of the people that we meet in baseball that have the same passions and morals and values. And when you're genuine and you build true relationships, which Rob has always done as a coach with the Yankees, and they did not recognize that, but the Phillies did to bring him over as the bench coach to help out Gabe Kapler, who was a new major league manager and Joe Girardi naturally kept him there. But all along, he was the person that built the bridge between the players and and the staff. And when he took over, there was an immense amount of respect for him. They knew that he had their back, that he was going to put them in a place to be successful. You know, we look at guys like Joe Torrey, the run that he had, Charlie Manuel, the run that he had in Philadelphia. All those players would run through a wall for those managers. Um, Bruce Bochy, in San Francisco, another guy that anybody who played for them because of the relationships that they built, they treated people, you know, do unto others as you want to be done unto yourself. You treat people with respect. It goes a long way. And, And baseball scientists don't recognize that, but baseball people do. What's the alternative to that? What's the alternative manager out, out there? That's, the alternative yeah. manager is, and, and, and I'll throw Dave Roberts into that guy who builds relationships. Um, you know, you know that his players love him and, and, and he loves his players. But, you know, the alternative is the guy who's the smartest guy in the room, who is always into the iPad and the notebook and, never talks to his players and and doesn't doesn't let them know that you're leading off. Uh, who was uh, Jessica Mendoza or one of the other ladies had to tell Bader that he was leading off one game. Uh, we saw that uh, in New York. That's not a good thing. I still can't believe that. That's unbelievable. I mean, I yeah. wasn't around the team on a daily basis, but if I was, I would. that'd be my first question to Aaron yeah. Boone. Why didn't you tell him or, or what happened there? Nobody asked them, did they, Kevin? I'm not sure they did, because no. I only heard about this secondhand. And, and again, uh, yeah. you know, my problem was I would ask direct questions and piss people off. But, that you know, we need to get more direct questions from guys. And, uh, yeah. again, yeah. there's some, a lot of great media people in New York. I know a lot of them. There yeah. are some people who carry water for certain people. We, we know who those are, too. All you got to do is read them. Um, but, you know, to me, that's unbelievable. And that's a great point that Will makes there. And, I'm sure in his everyday working as a coach, you know, Sal is talking to players. So it's 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 the most it's the most basic thing out there. Well, don't forget that's on the heels of Kiner Falefa being told in a text he wasn't starting. A text, a text so, exactly. You know that seems to be a pattern, right? Yeah, so it is. It's, it's, go ahead. It's, no, I was just going to say. I mean, going back to the to the six years that I coached in the minor leagues, I talked to every one of my pitchers every day. You know, you want to have your pulse on your players. If you're a hitting coach, you want to have your pulse on the players. And then you're a buffer between the manager, who's the ultimate leader, but he has his pulse on everything. And and, and every, when everyone communicates, you have a ton of success and you have a ton of trust in each other. Um, you know, we live in a world where people don't trust each other and, and, and that's not a good thing. It doesn't um, like sports at all. No, you know, you, you know, you look at, 
and all the articles you read where he's got a hitting guru he goes to. Well, that means he doesn't trust the guy who's his everyday hitting coach. Or he has a pitching guru that he calls that, that, that helps him. There's no trust. You know, then why do we even pay people to do their jobs if, if, if they're not good enough to build a relationship to actually help people uh, perform well? I asked Tom Griffin, uh, Carson Newman's coach, when we were out there last week, that very question. Uh, we had a parents meeting. He asked me to be vocal in the meeting because of my background and a lot of parents are intimidated to ask questions. And my first question to him was what we talk about on the show is there's a lot of gurus out there. And what kind of questions can you provide to the parents to be able to tell the difference? And the one message he gave them is that they have to start trusting their coaches. And he asks his players not they have to abandon whatever hitting and pitching gurus they're going to when they come to him because the first sign of trouble, they run to somebody outside the family for help right. and he can't get them back to ground zero. And um, he likened it to a marriage and a family. Like when you have a situation with your spouse or your friend or whatever it may be, you need to go directly to them and solve it together rather than go outside the family. And, uh, and that's the, that's kind of what we're talking about right here. And that's the, that was a great analogy he gave yeah. that, uh, the trust, the family, uh, the communication, all the things you guys are saying. But a question I asked, and I said, Sal, you can answer this too, because you're, you're coaching kids every day. Is the text messaging like the kind of falafel and Bader, um, is that becoming the norm or was that just an exception? Was that an outlier? Well, I mean, I, uh, you know, at the high school level, you're really not even supposed to be texting kids, you know, certain schools, will have rules and regulations. You're not allowed to text kids. You, everything would have to go through an email if you did. But I, I've never heard of that being done. That's just crazy to me at, at any level. So, you know, well, I, I, don't think, I don't think in the coaches I've coached with over the last 20 years have used, uh, besides obviously an email for schedule and like the week's events, uh, any individual communication was always in person. Yeah. Well, go ahead. Yeah. I was just going to say, you know, we're watching a world series where the one league number one seed, um, you can see uh, a manager and a staff of people that truly trust each other and work together. But, you know, we see the number six seed from the other league um, in the world series splitting down in Houston, which nobody thought they could do. And, you know, they're, they have a chance to win this World Series. And, you know, they're hot. But the thing that you see is they love each other as teammates, just like the Astros guys all care about each other. And, and, and the, there's something special that goes on with successful teams. There's not a lot of backbiting. There's not a lot of mistrust. There's, there's a ton of communication. There's a ton of what's best for the team. What's best for next guy up. If, if, if you're in an inning, I'm not going to chase a bad pitch to try to hook a ball and, and hit a, hit a gapper when I can take a walk and I trust rail Muto to get a hit. And, and you see this happening with the Phillies and you see this happen with the success that Houston has. And, you know, you know, we, we've all been in good clubhouses and, you know, you can feel the warmth in there that everybody does care about each other. And they have I, fun. I, That's a big yeah, thing, too. Yeah, they they're have, having a great time. 
I think be, I was talking to, you know, this week talking to a bunch of people and, and I can't mention them who, you know, some, a lot of people sent me texts actually from different parts of the country off of this. They actually work for teams and they, they love the article, um, you know, and, and I made a very simple uh, headline. It's speaking baseball. And they, and they said, and, and people reached out to me that work for teams in all kinds of capacities and said, it's so good to hear an honest voice about what's going on. And I want to make it clear, too. I'm, I have nothing against the baseball scientist that the Cubs hired. Good for him, you know. Um, but 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 there has to be more than scientists at work here. There has to be humans at work here, you know. This is, this, yeah. this is still a human game. And I think, uh, I think Will, now you're in Arizona, seeing some Arizona Fall League action. And, um, you know, I'm sure you're out there. You're not just looking to see what, who performs well, but also how they interact with their teammates. Yeah. Yeah. I, you know, I, I can tell you, I fell in love with Pete Alonzo, same time of the year, the year he was down here and we had kind of mixed reports on him and um, I hadn't seen him play yet. I wasn't doing the Mets organization at that time, but I watched this kid that was the first guy out on the field on November 7th, the week before the league was done diving for balls and, you know, you know, just do having fun on a baseball field. And then he hit a home run to center field off of Pearson on a hundred mile an hour fastball. You know, that was just, you know, three or four short years ago that, that I sat here and watched this. And, you know, I won't mention other names of guys who were touted much higher as prospects who were uh, kind of going through the motion because they were reading about how good they were in baseball America and they were hitting, 180 and there were they were starting in the all-star game because they were ranked as one of the top prospects and I no, yeah no repercussions you know yeah just, you know you just kind of shake game. your head and you have kids that were hitting 350 that didn't make the all-star game so um you know those are things that 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 I love to watch I love to see kids that love to play you uh I remember Scott Rowland the first time I saw him in the Phillies uniform in the minor leagues this kid worked his butt off with a smile on his face. He played the game, and I just went, wow, this guy, you know, other guys look like they're going to get a root canal playing baseball, and he was having a good time. So, Well, that made me think of a quick question for you, Will, because um, I know a lot of um, club, you know, uh, people who work for clubs come out there, whether coaches, advisors, and I think I read somewhere, and, and I know Boa was always big about going out there and, going all the way back to the days of Jimmy Rollins. But I think he's, I think he saw Stott play some shortstop and was impressed. Yeah. And so you, you must run into a lot of um, organizational people as well. Oh yeah. There's a ton of people out here this time of year and people are getting last looks. Um, there's a whole lot of players that are on the bubble to be protected or not protected. This is your last look before the rule five draft. Um, just this time last year, Stott was out here tearing this leg apart um, and absolutely loved watching him play. He played better for me out here than he did during the season and uh, had to you know, kind of upgrade my report. I just had him as a, a kind of an average everyday player, and I said I think he's got a chance to be a good everyday player. And, um, you know, here he is now playing in the World Series. I was out here right around the same time last year, and, um, you know, you never know. You know, it's it, it's great for him, and, and he's 
uh, answered the call for sure. He's made a pretty meteoric rise, correct? Because I don't think you were alone with that evaluation. I think the Phillies were in line with that too. I heard some stories about, you know, they really liked him. Um, And I, you know, when I first saw him, he struggled a little bit in double A last year and he didn't hit. Um, the My biggest question, and they ended up being right, they thought he could play stay at shortstop. I thought he was going to be an offensive second baseman or third baseman. And he's proven me wrong. He's played a very, very good shortstop. And quite honestly, you know, Didi Gregorius was under contract and he lost his job and lost his job completely where they released them. And this kid has, you know, maybe not numbers wise, but think of the walks that he's gotten where he's been down 0-2 and in big games, big situations where he battles to 3-2 and and he's gotten walks, fouling off tough pitches. This kid's got a chance to be a really, really good player. What about defensively? I mean, I've been impressed with him in the playoffs. How yeah. Yeah, he keeps the ball outside his body and and plays off balance. uh, Yeah, I wasn't sure if he was going to have the range to stay there, but it it looks to me is is that he has the instincts and he's reading the ball off the bat, and those are all baseball things that are taught. Those aren't um, analytic. uh, You're going to be the guy that stands in the middle, and if you stand here, there's an 86 percent chance that the ball is going to be hit right to you. He's, he, he's kind of reading right now, and he's showing me more range than even than I saw last year, and uh, next year it'll be good. Yeah, and Kevin, uh, on the other side, the Astros, um, they bumped or they didn't re-sign Correa for this young kid, Pena. How, how impressed have you been with him? Well, he's, he's a great kid. I know Dan Rubia is a, a friend of mine. He's a he's a retired uh in business, but he's up in the uh, New York State area with the, with the Valley Cats. And um, he used to get the Astros players coming through there until the, the Astros and under Manfred uh, left that franchise flat. You know, another great thing MLB did, screwing the minor leagues. But uh, he, he raved about Pena as a person and, and a player. And again, this is getting information. I think this is why I get good information from people because I, I, I reach out to everybody I, you know, when, when we needed, not just coaches, but I mean, this guy was a, uh, he, he's kind of, Dan is like, a, if you're ever up there, you got to say hi to him. He's he's like the world's greatest usher, but he's involved with everything. And um, so he's on the field with these guys taking pictures and, and he, he gets to know their personalities so going all the way back to guys are all in the, in the world series now with the, with the Astros. So, the Astros obviously knew his personality, so they're not just they're not just number freaks. They know players' personality. Correa did a great job, basically saying, "This is your job now," and that's part of it too. And I, I think that's in some ways, I think that's what Al, uh, Aaron Judge is searching for. He's searching for an organization that knows its players so well that they're not surprised when they come up or ask them to do big things. I mean, um, part of the problems I see with the Yankees was. Uh, they really didn't have a good feel for their young players on what they were capable of doing. And uh, it was like hit or miss. And um, a sign of a good organization is when they know what these kids, when they put them in this situation, they know what they're going to do. So that that's an underestimated um, uh, ability. And again, that gets back to what, what uh, going all the way back to GMs through the days that, you know, they would talk to the trainers, they would talk, 
you know, uh, again, people like Sal who deal with these players every day, they, they get to know these personalities. They didn't just look at the numbers guys and look at the, uh, look at the computer. They would talk to everybody that they dealt with. What kind of personalities is this? And the, and to the Astros credit, they do a great job of reading personalities. Um, Bregman has come in and has kind of established himself at now as the leader, but you know, Yuli Goriel at 38, what he's doing uh, is phenomenal. He he kind of gives them a baseball presence in that lineup, batting low in the order other teams don't have. So so I, even though we've been talking up the Phillies, I want to make sure to, that we talk up the Astros too because they they do more. And, and unfortunately, of course, we saw what happened in 17 and, and with all the cheating. Um, and in a way, I'm kind of glad that that's all come out and the managers moved on because, you know, he was get you know, he was kind of a nerdy manager and taking credit for things. And I, I don't mind him. He's, we'll see how it goes in Detroit. Um, but I think we're seeing now some of the uh, Astros ability to really, really coach. Yeah. Well, or Sal, what about you? I mean, you see these kids. We've talked about prospects. In fact, you, you introduced me to a young man the other day. When these kids are coming in to your facility, you're starting to work with them. What are some things that you look at? Kind of like Kevin said, he got in, intel from an usher. Um, what are things that you look at to tell this kid can make it or this kid can't? Well, I'll answer that. But I first want to just address something, Kevin, you guys were saying about identifying and knowing what guys could do. Uh, the other big part of that is recognizing when an athlete, a young athlete, has room for growth. And you know, what they are today doesn't mean that's what they're going to be in two or three years. And I think, um, you know, you guys can speak to baseball. I think in professional football, you see this rush to put guys in places that they may not be ready to be in because they're being paid all this money uh, based on the assumption that sometimes they can make the jump from high school to college. And they assume they can make the jump from college to pro. And I think you can't. And I think the, the failure rate, especially at quarterback and other positions, uh, in some part is due because they don't give athletes time to grow into what they will be. Um, and yeah, you got to have patience with players. Yeah. I mean, especially now you're talking at looking at these 17, 18, 19, 20 year olds. There's, they're not at the end of their uh, maturation process. Just from a standpoint of, Forget about their sport just physically. They still have another little spurt. Some of them, especially, you know, depending on genetics and other things, I can I can think of tons of examples of a kid who was a late bloomer. These late bloomers are are the real, real gems out there. And to your point, Dave, you know, I don't look at kids for their sport necessarily because a lot of the times I see them in my facility coming to me looking to improve physically. So you can be seduced by some skills that kids can have early. I know for sure you see it in lacrosse where a kid's stick skills could be out of sight, but their rest of their packages, uh, the physical package is, is lagging or it can be a problem. But because this, the good stick skills can kind of uh, help kids surpass the competition, uh, at some point they're still, they, they still have a ceiling, and that ceiling might not be evident until they're already in college. So I try to look beyond the sport and look at the basic skills, look at their, um, we've talked about range of motion, simple things like what's their ankle range of motion, what's their shoulder range of motion, um, how they move in three dimensions. You know, we move, there's, I don't really talk much of jargon. We, there's three planes we move in. You have what's called the sagittal plane when you're going forward and back. 
The frontal plane is when you're moving laterally, and the transverse plane is when you rotate. You know, most training occurs in, you know, sagittal or frontal. No one ever trains transverse. And some people don't even train, um, you know, the, the lateral plane enough. So I look at how they move in those planes, and that tells me all I need to know about where they are and possibly where they can go unless we get some things addressed. I like it. Kevin, go ahead. Yeah, I, th- I think that's a good point. I think obviously in football, uh, the, the, that plane where you move backwards, you know, cornerbacks, defensive backs, linebackers, you know, that's so important. But I think baseball needs to do more of that. I mean, baseball, uh, so you can see how a guy moves on a fly ball, uh, you know, and, and reads, you know. That, that's why I want I want to, you know, I, I try to make it clear. I know people think I'm, you know, a Clint Eastwood yelling at people on my lawn. But the bottom line is I don't mind the new strat- new scientist type in baseball. But let's start measuring things that matter to the baseball team and and, and figure out who's a really good defender. And I'll give you a perfect example how how by not doing that, how you create so much trouble for yourself and maybe get yourself knocked out of the playoffs. The Yankees go along with this philosophy like anybody can play anywhere. It's, you know, Castro never used to be that way, but he's that way now because he's been influenced by the nerds. And so they get in a situation where they have a guy, Stanton, they got to stick him out in left field. They think it's no big deal. But all of a sudden, now Bader, the center fielder, who's a good center fielder, now has to overcompensate. So how is he going to deal with that? Well, he dealt with it okay, but then all of a sudden he's overcompensating by going too far into Aaron Judge's world. So he and that and then he drops a fly ball, becomes a, you know that becomes a two-run home run. Yankees get knocked out again, get swept, and uh, those are little things that baseball people would understand. A Rob Thompson would understand. Well, you know we're moving. We got Stanton over there. And you make it, you make it clear to Bader, like, hey, you really got to worry about left center but don't worry so much about right center we'll, we'll put it you know we'll let Aaron go a little further to, to me there was no there was no communication there and no measurements too did they do they actually know how far guys go uh uh and not just reading off stat cast I mean doing their real homework and and having a guy um chase down fly balls I I am um, Steve Finley I asked once how he became a great outfielder and I used it to all my kids and it really helped he told me the first 20 balls in spring training of every day he'd go out there, he would just move his eyes to the ball. In other words, he'd have a coach hit a ball into the gap, and he would just anticipate where it would go and put his eyes on the ball. Then the next 20 would actually physically move. That's the kind of work that you have to do to become a, 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 you know, a great player and understand all this stuff. And that's what's being lost when the nerds rely too much on tech and not enough on, 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 on get, you know, doing the job themselves, you know, going out there and doing the actual work. So that's well, why. Yeah. I, go ahead. So. so no, sorry. I thought you were done. I just, you were talking about measuring. We, we've gotten to the point where we we're so obsessed with measuring and we measure everything. Then, then you lose context of what's important and what's not. And I think that's in, in a lot of sports, we're way off the reservation on where we should be with what we're measuring and uh, and and what it means in in actual performance uh, context. Well, that, that's uh, Dave, important. I know you just went to a catching camp, one yeah. of the better ones. And, and you know, people, I think one of the reasons people listen to the show is because they want information that you guys offer that you know real 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 time information. What what was emphasized in in that camp 
for not only for communication, but to, to better yourself as, as a catcher, not just the average stuff, you know, but what, what were some of the unique uh, aspects that you saw? Well, no, that's, that's a great, great question. Uh, kind of going to your point with the outfield that leads into the catching question. The point that you're making is these guys would actually have to go out there and get, get fly balls. Exactly. Measure each other and see where they, where they feel comfortable. Human element. And that's what was it yeah. was impressed at this catching camp. Um, I was I was so excited within the first five seconds because they got right down to the detail where showed the kids exactly how they wanted them to put on their gear, exactly how they wanted to present themselves. And um, my son actually got asked a question. He goes, where's your position on the field? And he's been schooled in this, so he knows. He walked out in front of home plate and he put an X in front of home plate and said, this is where I lead from. This is my position on the field. It's not behind home plate. So that, that was impressed upon the kids right away. That's that interesting. A catcher is just not a guy who puts the gear on and stays behind home plate. You, your position is out in front of home plate. But what was emphasized the first day, they, they learned how to receive properly. They learned how to block. They did very little throwing the first day in terms of, you know, pop times, any of that. And his point was until your feet are perfect, nothing external good is going to happen. So they, they did receiving – they did blocking, and he did show them how to do it from one knee just in case, but he also emphasized them that the prefer- the preference to blocking is having yourself on two feet in an athletic position, and there was not a detail on touch there. And the, the part with communication, this was my favorite point of the camp um, outside of the, the beginning part, blocking, receiving, but when they're going out there communicating, you hear all these kids yelling, you know, anything. It's ball, 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 mine, mine, mine. It's repetitive. He said, you're leaking energy when you communicate four, five, six times. All I want you to do is yell ball one time. If you yell it loud enough and you're decisive about yelling it, everybody will get used to that one voice. He's like, when you yell five or six times, he's like, it's like a parent. The kids don't listen the first four or five times. Neither will your teammates. You yell it once, you yell it loud. Um, the other thing with communication, use a name, use a location. Don't be really specific. If your pitcher's name is Jason, Jason, third baseline. So give him a name, give him a location. So I, I like that. Very direct with the communication, um, but really heavy emphasis on blocking and receiving the first day. Second day, they got into their footwork with throwing, how it applied to that. Um, but overall, the kids were doing. It wasn't theory. Um, it wasn't, uh, you know, there, was there some science to it? Sure. There was pop times and measurements. But um the kids had to actually get out there and do. And as you pointed out with Rob Thompson, very clear communication. He talked to every kid like they were a man. Um, he made every kid be responsible for themselves and their teammate. And he taught them how to talk. Whenever they went from one place to another, they walked in pairs like Noah's Ark. And they had to communicate with the guy next to him, learn about who he was, what his family was like, who his favorite team is. Yeah. So they were constantly, by the end of the camp, they all knew each other. They were all, you know, buddies. They were pulling for each other. And, um, these were kids from all over the Southeast. And, and uh, at the end of the camp, this, and I'll make this last point. I know Sal wants to jump in. But um, he met every kid at the end of camp, goes back to treating your players like men, and shook every one of their hands, looked them in the eye, and thanked them for attending their camp. Um, and I, I thought that was great. I thought that put an exclamation point on everything he did there. These kids all know they care about him. He's communicated with my son three times since camp. Um giving him drills. Uh, he sent him the, the addresses for the coaches so Tanner could write everybody a thank you note. And let everybody know what the name of the camp was again. <clears throat> and it's, yeah, it's, uh, it's, it's catch, block, throw. 
and it's uh, it's it's uh, Griffin out at Carson Newman, Tom Griffin, one of the best instructors I've been around, regardless of sport, uh, regardless of age, regardless of gender. Um, this guy can flat out teach, and he should be in somebody's professional baseball system, without question. Sal, go ahead. Well, that's a great lead in or you you made a great comment that leads into the what do you look at? And you're talking about catchers are not going to be able to progress up the ladder of skill until they work on their feet. And then I would say if you've got, you know, players who have poor ankle range of motion and poor hip mobility right away, you've already limited what they can do. So that has to be part of the evaluation process, because you could have the best drills in the world for for around the plate. But if your kids can't move, if they're not mobile, you're wasting your time and they'll never be what they could be by ignoring some very basic, some very basic things, especially at that age when, you know, again, a great example of what they are is not what they're going to be. That's the age that you're going to work on all these things that are out of line for whatever reason. And that can certainly be improved 180 degrees. I like that communication was coached as well because. Even trips to the mound, he talked to the kids about making trips to the mound. What are you going to say to your pitcher? How do you know what to say? You've got to know the guy. Do you make a joke? Um, are you serious? Do you make it practical? Do you say nothing? Do you just go out there and break momentum? So he went over several scenarios uh, with the kids regarding that as well. And I think that goes understated. We talk about you know professional managers texting a guy about not playing shortstop that night or not letting somebody know they're leading off. We are in such a bad state with with the ability to communicate with just among humans, let alone adult a kid. Absolutely. These kids were these kids were just waiting for this guy to talk, and um, and so he. I, I love the first part. I, like I said, that X in front of the plate. He pointed to me, and he came over after and said, "You taught that you taught that kid well." Um, but uh, yeah, great camp. Couldn't couldn't recommend it more highly. But Kevin, you you wanted to jump in? No, I just I I think the communication is huge and. Um, we're losing that across the board. It sounds like these might be. There's a chance that these kids may grow up to be educated, uh, educated voters as well. That's that would be a nice little thing to have for a change. And the, the thing that hit me too is, um, and I'm going to put Sal on the spot here because he, um, I know he 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 talks about in his own podcast about climbing trees and all that stuff like that. But when we talk about, and it's not just a catcher, but a position player or anybody, is there a simple Oh, nothing may be simple, but what is a basic, say, your your average 12-year-old kid, uh, what is a basic thing he can do at home other than skip rope to, to kind of get a little bit better, faster, quicker, stronger? Well, I mean, again, you're talking about at an age where the maturation process in puberty is going to do more than any drill. So that you have to – you can't put every kid on the same timetable because you could look at the mature 12-year-old – and and the late bloomer and you know the late bloomer could still work on all the right drills and, and and it might not hit until you know three or four years down the line or two years down the line whereas the older kid more physically mature kid is going to respond and be able to do certain things so th- there's a sliding scale of what's appropriate but you know your example of of uh, jump rope is a great is, is a great one but and it's 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 hard to give a direct answer, but general mobility training and coordination training are probably the most important things that kids of that age should be involved in because this goes back to why you want to have a multi-sport athlete because the more coordination a kid is exposed to, 
the higher ceiling they're going to have for skill acquisition. So if you've played three sports, hockey, soccer, baseball, basketball, football, lacrosse, whatever your combo is, the more you do to improve your movement vocabulary, um, the better you're going to be able to express yourself physically. So, you know, those mobility kind of drills, we talked about it on my podcast, hopscotch is one of those things you never see in a playground anymore. We played hopscotch like it was a combat sport when I was a kid. And <laughs> and now you you could go on Instagram and see these guys do plyometric drills, which aren't even as effective, which are replacing the more effective free play stuff of, that we used to do in hopscotch. So no, hopscotch was, uh, was always fun to play uh, and, 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 you know, switching legs and all that stuff. I mean, uh, it, it really is amazing if you step back and look at it just as a parent and not even somebody involved in sports, but it's amazing what we've taken away from our kids growing up and, and tried to replace it with other things that aren't really as effective when the whole common sense go play in a mud puddle world uh, made you a better athlete in a lot of ways. Yeah. Go, you know, they took ropes out of the schools here in New Jersey. So, you know, no climbing ropes, why, why would they do that? Well, uh, liability issues. And then, you know, ultimately uh, it was lawyers, too, many, too many kids couldn't do it and didn't want to do it. So they didn't feel it was fair. And they used it as the under the guise of liability. But when in reality, it was that it was something that was hard and some people had to work on. So, so when, when I used to have to climb that rope in seventh grade, I, I don't have to do that anymore? No, you do not in most places in New Jersey. That's a better world, they say, right? Yeah, I have, a, I have a buddy who is the head of health and phys ed at one of the largest schools in the country, and it's in New Jersey. And uh -huh. I can tell you horror stories about what they do and the, what they're doing at the state level with the phys ed curriculum. So it's not getting better. So that, again, again, that's why we have our show. I think it's incumbent on parents to, to recognize this, have the guts to stand up to it and maybe uh, do something about it. If, and if you can't do it as a group, uh, you know, maybe in a board meeting, at least do it for your own kid. Make sure they play, uh, you know, make sure they play some uh, normal outside stuff. And uh, again, I live in an area too. Don't forget, Sal, that, you know, two blocks I go down now and, and I just was down there. The, um, you know, all the surfers are out and, uh, you know, the, you know, the, there's a lot of people in great shape just from just from doing those natural things and uh, walking, getting out in the sunshine. So I think that can't be overemphasized with players because I'm seeing more and more of the iPad generation when it's really the, the physical go out there and play generation that gets it done. And I think we're seeing that with the uh, – with the Astros and the Phillies. And also Rob Thompson made a great point. I was reading something. He was saying that he credited his outfield coach and his, his infield coach for the work they're doing to make these players better. So I think, uh, I think organizations are finally, some organizations are finally starting to realize that at the major league level, you still have to do the kind of development stuff that you used to do in the, in, in the, uh, in the minor leagues. And one other quick point, and I know Will had to go to a game, and he's, he's out in Arizona and had to do things, but I think this whole he, – he, and this is me speaking, not Will. This Arizona Fall League is a great thing. It's great for the kids. It's it's great for people to see the players and get used to them. 
But at the same time, it's not the same thing that it used to be when a Mike Piazza went down into the you know winter leagues and got better, and all these players uh, sink or swim in the winter. So again, I, the the big thing I see with teams is a little too much coddling and not enough work. If they did those, if they would change that a little bit, I think teams would be better. Well, and Kevin, you know your your point about nerds taking over baseball—they've taken over education, and you know for as bad as it is for baseball. Um, it's worse for education because that's going to have a much more widespread effect. You know, I have, again, my same colleague, buddy of mine, who tells you you have these young people who never really spent time in the classroom. And the only time they spent in the classroom was so they could get out to become an administrator. And they're the ones that are setting policy. So and that's that's not just in phys ed, obviously, that's across the board. So the nerds are taking over and it's not necessarily for the best in any uh, aspect of our society. That's, That's why I great point. One, one last thing, Dave, before you wrap it up here. As you guys know, I went to my my 50th uh, high school reunion. Uh, 50, it was actually 51, 52 years now. And um, one of the things that happens is that everybody looks for the old teachers. And all the teach, you know, most of the kids wanted to know about their old gym teachers. Isn't that interesting? That That's the guys they really wanted to guys and girls they really wanted to find. You know, the, the, those gym teachers seem to really resonate with my era. Uh, and you know what? I wanted to say one thing before, Dave, when Kevin had mentioned his high school. Kenilworth High School at, has always had a good athletic uh, tradition. I actually was lucky enough to coach there early in my career under some of the guys who had coached for one of their legendary football coaches. And um, learned a lot while I was there, but they they were a small school. Probably in New Jersey, the schools go from one being the smallest to four being the largest. Now we have five because we have a big disparity between the big schools. Even when I was at Brearley and during the time period I'm going to discuss, they probably had less than 200 kids per grade, and probably about 150 if that. And they had at one point six Division One football players from the same era and then they had wow. a string where they had amazing players going uh beyond just that one spread so they had just one of the more amazing uh experiences sending kids to the highest level of of football pit uh ucla um and other big schools illinois i believe so it's just a uh, it's worth mentioning that uh, kevin went to a high school where athletics and it's still very important there yeah, I think that's a, you know, that there's a tradition there and it, it carries all the way through. And, but I also, we grew up, it's, and I mentioned this in my little emceeing, we grew up in an era, and even now I, I still see it where the community cares about one another, so they look out for one another. And those kids are out playing. I mean, it's, it's not like, uh, you know, it's not like you're scared something's going to happen to your kids, so you keep them in your neighborhood. I mean, kids are still out playing all over the town because, you know, there's a lot of good people. That people look out for their kids and other people's kids. That's what I'm trying to say. And there's a lot of, uh, you know, a lot of, you know, riding the bikes, going here, going there, getting things done, playing ball away from coaching. And then, of course, then you add that good coaching in with that kind of uh, spirited individual and you may have success. And, of course, we lost recently one of our greatest player from Kenilworth, Tony Saragusa. Uh, you know, he, he – uh, and, and he was a great – you know, I knew him – you know, I knew him in my career, obviously, and uh, would see him afterwards. And when when he was, uh, you know, announcing and broadcasting, and uh, but he never lost that that Kenilworth uh, Garwood David Burley regional spirit. That's 
right? Uh, as you guys are talking about the importance of the PE teachers, I'm thinking back to Draper Elementary where I went in, in New York and to start gym class, there was 10 ropes that hung from the ceiling. You couldn't participate until you climbed the rope top to bottom. And uh, it didn't matter if it took you all class, you had to do it. And you know nobody took it away. But also the, the, the PE teacher, Doug Erickson, who recently passed as well, um, he was the high school football, baseball, and he helped out with basketball. And the reason he stayed with the elementary is so that he could build a foundation, he said, with the young kids. And he could tell early who was going to be the athletes for him. And boy, that little school sent uh, sent <laughs> dozens and dozens of players to college, but professional baseball, college basketball, tiny little school with 80 kids every graduating class. Um, but this this guy was a mainstay, and he coached generations of kids uh, through there. So yeah, the importance of the PE teacher, it, it goes uh, without question in that. And then uh, one more point to what we're talking about. Uh, we talk about the education system. We homeschool our kids. I think I've mentioned that on the show. And one of the best ways for me to learn how to teach our kids, uh, we have two boys. Uh, uh, we have an eighth grader and a seventh grader. They're both in college courses already, uh, taking collegiate courses, one at MIT and one at Princeton online mm-hmm. and wow. through the homeschool. And I learn how to teach them, whether it's sports or academics, by watching them. They show me what to teach them. I don't think we're doing that nowadays. I think as both of you guys pointed out, we're trying to control things so much, whether it's professional baseball or you know how kids play or even free play stuff, that we're forgetting that the kids will show us how they need to be taught, how they need to be communicated to. Um, not that they get to rule the roost, but if you watch them, they'll show you how to teach them. Exactly. And, and lastly, I promise the last thing I'll say, the uh, I want to bring up my daughter, Kelly, we, we, she took, she was in high school out in, in, um, and it could, you know, it was out in Southern California, in San Diego, Rancho Bernardo High School, um, uh, you know, RB, and it was a great, great teaching experience. And one, one quick story, her, her, her basketball coach was a really great woman, woman basketball coach, and, uh, but her assistant was Sam Blaylock, who was the famous high school baseball coach. So Sam would coach a lot of kids that went on to, you know, you know, his, his nephew, Hank Blaylock, played for the Rangers, obviously. But a lot of kids would go on to pro careers at our Rancho Bernardo, uh, you know, and, and 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 Sam would spend his winters being the kind of like the X and O guy for 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 the uh, basketball, the girls' basketball team. So my my daughter got that great coaching. But here's the story I want to tell you, and I advise this to all coaches uh, in the first meeting. Uh, the, the coach, she sat down, the first parent meeting, she sat him down and, and said, listen, I just want to let you know, uh, I have no problem communicating with your child. Your, your child can come to me anytime, open door, blah, 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 you know, all that stuff. But she said, but I, I the parents don't get involved. If you come to me and, and question your child's playing time, whatever playing time they get at that time will automatically be cut in half. And then if you come again and complain a second time, it'll be cut again in half so so she would nip it in the bud right then and there now maybe a different world a little bit now with transferring and everything but i still think that's a great advice for coaches set set an agenda early and don't back down from it no i'm, I'm with you on that and i think it has changed but that was one of my hard and fast rules too I, I would talk to any parent about anything because i had their child whether it was 18 to 22 or nowadays we're dealing with younger ones you come to me about anything i'll help you with you i'm, I'm part of your child's life except for playing time. That's it. If the kid has a problem with playing time, they can come and talk to me and I will coach them on how to talk to me and I'll relay it back to you. But no, I think we're, we're coddling our kids and 
the more situations we put them in there with trusting adults, the better. I think that's a great point to end it on, Kevin. I really do. But, uh, guys, great show today. Will, I want to, we want to thank Will. He's in Arizona at the Fall League. He gave us time in the beginning. It was great as usual. Had to get out to scout some, some players out there for his organization. But, guys, thanks for Episode 76, our panel of experts. And yesterday we had Ryan Ripken on. Make sure our audience is following him. He's doing great things in sports media right now. Uh, let's make sure we're supporting him in his endeavor. Guys, have a great afternoon. Thanks, Dave. Thanks, Kevin. See you soon. Take care, fellas. Thank <laughs> you.